Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome to the latest Gators Online podcast. Zach Alberti, Nick Del Torre here, and we are not coming to you from Spurrier's Gridiron Grill due to a tropical storm, Nicole, that's making its way through the state of Florida. Hope everybody in its path is doing okay, but forced us to uh, stay home on this Thursday as uh, we inch toward to Florida's uh, home finale for the 2022 season against South Carolina. Nick and I have got an A&M game to recap and certainly all the news that's happened throughout the week. Uh, Nick, how's it going, my friend? Uh, just got power back. Um, all right. You, know, you, you put power lines underground. You don't think you don't expect to lose power, but uh, that's that's what today was. It, I literally published a story and was about to tweet it out. And the power cuts out. And I'm like, okay, that's that's what my phone is for, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, it's you know, I, it's it's weird to have a, a storm like this, you know, at this point in November. Um, but it's the third hurricane in the history of Florida to hit Florida in recorded, uh, I guess, recorded hurricane recorded history. Third, only third hurricane to hit the state of Florida in November. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
Yeah, it's um, it's weird times. Fortunately, it, it doesn't appear that it's going to affect anything that the Gators have going on this weekend, not only the football game, uh, but the second hoops game of the season for men's basketball. Also, a lot of other teams in action this weekend, too. But we will get into the season opener that the Gators had uh, an impressive showing from Todd Golden's first team. But first, we got to get into what was an impressive showing from the Gators in College Station. They go on the road, get their first SEC road win since 2020. And uh, Nick, you know, I, I think we went into this game. You and I were on, uh, you know, kind of 50-50. And then we learned leading up to kickoff that uh, AM was going to have some players uh, out due to mm. uh, the flu that was kind of going around their locker room. I don't think that was you know, the reason why they lost the game. Uh, but Florida definitely came in and put together uh, an impressive second half performance nonetheless, but also, you know, kept it competitive in the first half when it was really a shootout and uh, defense was optional in that first half. Yeah, um, and I think certainly one of the one of the things you can point to is, well, Florida's second half performance on defense was that just – you know, AM had 11 players available and they got tired in the second half. Um, you can spin things any way you want to spin them. Um, it probably has a little bit to do with it. You know, guys getting tired. Um, but it certainly was, at least for Florida, I'm sitting there in the first half and I'm like, man, the only Tony we acknowledge is Kadarius. And then all of a sudden the defense comes out. Patrick Tony talks to his guys. Ventrell talks to his guys. Um, you and I talked to Justice Boone last night. Justice Boone uh, apparently talked to the guys. Some tough yeah. love at halftime. And uh, it, it's just good to see them respond because in the first half, things were not going well for them. This is an AM team that not only isn't good, but was sick, suspended, and hurt. Um, not a good combination if you're getting ready for a football game. So I think just for Florida to be able to respond to the challenge, um, for them, it, it does wonders in terms of your mental health and, and your confidence and your belief. Okay, if if we do A, B, and C, we will get our desired result. In yeah. the first half, we did maybe half of A, forgot about B, and refused to do C. So if we do these things, we can be who we think we are. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, for the defense, it and Boone mentioned that, how much it showed them uh, just as a unit, like, hey, we actually can do it. We can shut out sure. a team in the second half or in any half. That was the first time they'd done it at all this season. Um, but then I think also as a team to, you know, have an effort that you put forth and to actually get over the hump and win a game. We've seen from this team that they have the ability to rally and come back when they're down and they never just – throw in the towel and quit. You know, they came back against Tennessee. They came back against LSU. They came back against Georgia, but they didn't win any of those games. And it was like, you know, they they showed the fight. They showed the brotherhood, all these things that Billy's talked about, but they didn't really get the end result to show for it. Now they have it. And they have it against, you know, one of the NIL national champions uh, <laughs> this year. So Might you know, be the NIL national champion. If they have any money left over to you know, buy a trophy. Yeah. I mean, between them and Miami, it's uh, not been a good look for those programs, despite what they've uh, accomplished on the NIL front. So 
Um, you know, nonetheless, Florida goes out. Uh, you know, they they kind of avenged that 2020 loss uh, that they had on the road to Texas A&M, one of their few blemishes uh, of that regular season. And uh, I, I think more importantly, you know, offensively, uh, we saw Anthony Richardson maybe, you know, not his most productive performance in terms of yardage, passing, or running, but it was probably his best performance since the Tennessee game, uh, just in the way that he ran the offense, uh, the, the way that he, you know, obviously showed his dual threat ability, not only as a runner, but as a passer as well, had his third straight game without a turnover. And at the end of the day, got the W, most importantly, his first career road win. So I think for, you know, this is, a, you know, I think it was most important for the defense to have that type of performance. But as, as uh, Billy said after the game, he told uh, Richardson, on the field, uh, on Kyle Field, as the clock was winding down in the fourth, this game is a pivotal moment in your career. Um, it's going to help you play for a long time. So um, just as important, I think, for Anthony. And then we saw that dynamic duo at running back uh, do what they do, Nick. Yeah, you got that one-two punch, that pop-pow. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it's really interesting how that running back room has evolved. I mean, we had Naquan Wright on um, this this podcast over the summer, and he was talking about getting that number five back and what that meant to him, and you're going to see a whole new dude. And I don't think he's done anything wrong. I think it's just been how good Montreal and, and, yeah. and Trevor Etienne have been. I mean, I can't compliment and talk about how good Etienne's vision um, and patience is for a 18 year old kid, a running back, the way that he just like takes the ball and will just sit there almost still in the backfield mm. and wait for his lane to open and then bust through it. It's just like, that's the kind of patience you get from like a, a fourth year senior or a fifth year senior running back or someone in the NFL. And uh, maybe it's working with brother and, uh, and whoever else the brothers, you know, NFL buddies that are working out with them. Um, but he certainly runs uh, like a very mature player. Um, and that's great to see for a freshman. And I think Montreal Johnson, uh, with his balance, he might be able to do, you know, the beam on the gymnastics team. Um, you see him bounce <laughs> off a tackle and like put a finger on the ground against the go the goal line, stumble a little bit, and he's back up running, ready to yeah. put his helmet into somebody else's chest. That, that one-two punch. Um, and then you add Anthony Richardson, who oh, I think he might be able to get a speeding ticket on campus just running. Yeah, what um, was it, 21.4 they, 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 miles an hour? They, they clocked him at almost 22 miles an hour um, on that 60-yard run, which would have been a, a touchdown in flag football. No one was close to him. Yeah. Looks like yeah. me and you trying to – yeah, me, me and you trying to chase him out there, Zach. Wasn't going to happen. And you also had in Ricky Pearsall. And, you know, we – I think yeah. I talked about it maybe on the last episode about – um, wanting to see him more involved in those reverses and end arounds. And there was Saturday in College Station. It was very productive. Um, I think there was also was, one. There was also one that I'm forgetting the offensive lineman that was that had a false start, but Ricky got the ball and there was nobody over on that side of the field. If not for a false start, he might have had another, I can't remember where they were on the field, but another 40 plus yard touchdown. Mm. I think that it was probably one of uh, Billy's best called games of the season. Uh, definitely one of Patrick Tony's best called games, certainly in the second half. Um, 
But, you know, let's give some credit where it's due, Nick. There's been a lot of opinions on uh, Billy's play calling. I'll tell you what frustrated fans more than anything last season when it came to offensive play calling was the lack of carries for the running back. Can we give some props to the fact that Montrell Johnson got 22 carries in a game and Trevor Etienne got 17. The last time that I've seen Florida running backs get that many carries in the game, it's been a while. It was uh, Matt Jones, was, Kelvin Taylor. Glorious. And probably Matt Jones and Kelvin Taylor back in, uh, back in Jacksonville. Yeah, probably. Um, really, really good to see. Uh, we've been saying it, run the dang ball. Yeah. Um, Texas A&M's, I mean, the, they had a top 20 national passing defense in a 127th ranked rushing defense. Like, it, I don't know if you even had a decision if you're Billy Napier making a game plan. The decision was made for you. Um, and then as we get into the game this week, it's kind of made for you again. When you get down to this point of the season, when you're in week 11 going into game 10, you are what you are. Mm-hmm. It's on film. Yeah, you're you're a zebra and you can't change your stripes at this point of the season. Florida can't cover a tight end that we saw Georgia take advantage of that. They knew what to do. And Florida doesn't have the guys to, to stop that. Texas A&M can't stop the run. Florida has guys to take advantage of that. And A&M exactly. you know, didn't didn't have any answers for it this week. South Carolina has trouble stopping the run. Vandy ran for over 200 yards so like again kiss they say kiss in 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 schools that keep it simple stupid don't get tricky this week yeah and also game the blueprint is there for you yeah and to lead into that nick i mean you're also now potentially down two of your best receivers the gators already had justin shorter who missed the texas a&m game He's uh, still questionable this week. Billy said that he's practiced in a limited capacity, but doesn't sound like he's going to play. Um, And now the guy that replaced uh, Shorter in the starting lineup made his first career start against Texas A&M, Jaquavion Frazier's, comes up with the huge one-handed 19-yard touchdown catch that he got hurt on, came back into the game, made another 14-yard reception, uh, finished with a bunch of career highs. Uh, and then he, you know, he has this great performance in his first career start. And then he doesn't get to follow it up because according to Billy suffered a significant shoulder injury and is now out uh, for this game. So he's definitely not going to play short of could not play. And that's going to leave you with a true freshman making his first career start and Caleb Douglas, although he's coming off his best game as a Gator um, you know, with the plays that he made against the Aggies, that touchdown catch uh, that he kind of just snagged out of the air, that kind of sealed it, given given the Gators a two-score lead. So, um, but, you know, it, Billy said not just him, you're going to see a lot more Marcus Burke. Um, and then we saw Khalil Jackson make his first appearance on the depth chart this week for the South Carolina game. So um, you're down some options at receiver, uh, which will probably lead to more runs. Yeah, certainly, um, man, I, I wonder if Florida, you know, Billy, we asked about, you know, are you worried about Florida getting the flu? 
from Texas A&M. He's like, ah, we've kind of already done that stuff here. Um, but yeah, just running through the, that, those list of injuries. And, and I, I really hope for Justin Shorter's sake being in senior day that he's able to go. Yeah. Um, maybe just catch a, catch a screen pass real quick and then get back to the sideline. Hey, I caught a ball <laughs> on senior day. Um, but I, I think one of the big things we were talking about was also um, just getting to see the younger guys and getting bowl eligible, getting a chance to see the younger guys and how how important those fifteen practices were. Right now, you're being your hands being forced to get some of those younger guys in, like Marcus Burke. I mean, fans ask, you know, what's why? Where has he been? Where has he been? It's like this is a dude that was almost kicked off the team uh, yeah. if it wasn't for. Uh, you know, his teammates asking for him to have another chance. So he's been in the doghouse and been battling and having to work and claw his way out. And now, um, I mean, in the last five games, he's he, he was in a up. lot of AM, he was in a lot uh, in a lot against AM, especially after Frazier's, um, you know, was taken out of the game. Um, it uh, it'll be interesting to see him. Um, uh, obviously, Ricky, look good. Caleb, payday. Paydays looked paydays look good. So it'll be interesting to see um these other guys. But I mean, I I just don't know how much the passing game should be involved or will be involved on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, obviously it's gonna be a special day in the swamp. You've got salute to those who serve, uh Gators uh recognizing veterans, uh first responders, uh just having military appreciation, something that we've seen as a theme. Uh, not only for this team, but this is an annual tradition that the Gators have. Billy, uh, happy to continue it. And then also going to be senior day uh, in the swamp. And uh, interesting, mm-hmm. you know, list of seniors and how that's all shaken out. We're going to jump to this first break. When we come back on the other side, we'll kind of break down the guys that will be playing their final game in the swamp, give you our predictions for the Florida-South Carolina game, as well as our keys to the matchup coming game against Vandy. You don't have to call or email. Just go to Spurriers.com, hit the reservation button, pick a date, number of guests, and a time. It's so simple, I can do it. In fact, I just did. Maybe I'll see you tonight. Welcome back to the Gators Online Podcast. Zach and Nick here, and it is time to turn our attention to the regular season finale at home for the Florida Gators as they take on the South Carolina Gamecocks, obviously a team that uh, took it to them last year in Columbia and kind of spelled the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen. And uh, obviously the Gators looking to get some revenge, not only uh, against that team, but also against Spencer Rabbit, a guy that uh, blew them out in the Cotton Bowl when they faced uh, Oklahoma and some of those guys that were on that team um, are, are on this defense, and they get a chance to uh, to get another shot at him. And as Amari Bernie said this week, they've been joking amongst themselves that, uh, quote, we owe him one. So uh, we'll see if uh, the Gators can get that done. Uh, but obviously, Amari, one of uh, several seniors, he's not going to be actually taking part in the pregame ceremony. He did it last year and decided, uh, I don't need to do it again. Um, but they have 18 guys that will be honored. Obviously, this class has been through a lot. You've got guys like Ventrell Miller that have been through three head coaches and three coaching staff. So, um, you know, they, they've certainly kind of had their ups and downs and uh, trying to finish off on a high note here. 
Um, and, and Nick, you know, it's interesting to see how this class has come together because it's 18 guys, but it's nine scholarship guys. And then you got some underclassmen as well that um, aren't seniors in terms of their eligibility, but have been on campus for four years and are about to graduate or have graduated. Yeah, redshirt, uh, redshirt sophomores, Naquan Wright and Trent, and Trent Whittemore will be walking for senior day. Yeah. Um, so, so that's interesting. And it, it, it was a really, <laughs> I mean, all of the fifth year guys, were recruited by Jim McElwain's staff. And that is wild to think about. And six-year guy, um, Venture Miller was suspended his freshman year, but was practicing for Jim McElwain. So that's a good point. It's been, play it's been, for him, though. been a tough six years, Zach. It's been, it's been a tough six years here in Gainesville. Uh, you, you never want a senior, a six-year senior to have played for three coaches. Um, no, that's not unseen. a good look. And not, not a good look at all. And obviously, you know, we mentioned there's 18 guys, nine of them are scholarship players. Three of them absolutely cannot come back last year. They've exhausted all of their eligibility. Ben Trail Miller being one of them, Trey Dean being another, Jordan Pouncey. Um, Amari Bernie is not one of the nine because we mentioned that he's not walking, but he also cannot come back. Um, then you've got some fifth year juniors who are going to walk on senior day, Richard Garage, Justin Shorter, Lorenzo Lingard Jr., not Shorter, I think for all intents and purposes, he's obviously off to the NFL, certainly with the season that he's had. I think Garage is expected probably to explore the NFL draft, but he did not rule out coming back when he met with the media on Wednesday. Um, So, but he is going through senior day, so that might – you know, uh, suggests where he's leaning and then and and on pace to graduate too. Yes. And then uh well no no he's already graduated. Oh that's right. He graduated last spring. Yeah garage and shorter they both graduated in the spring. And then it's interesting the the remaining guys now you got Lingard who is a fifth year junior then you've got Will Harrod, Trent Whittemore, Naquan Wright. These guys are all listed as redshirt sophomores um due to their COVID year, but they they were all part of the 2019 class. They've been at UF for four years. Trent's already graduated. And then uh, Will Harrod and Naquan Wright are going to graduate this fall, along with Lorenzo Lingard. So, um, you know, just by them, and, and Billy said, hey, this was, you know, their decision. They wanted to take part in senior day. All these guys that are participating, they, they view themselves as seniors. They've got their degree. They've been here four years. Um, so, you know, by deciding to go through this, they are basically signaling that this is their final game at UF. So, um, you know, obviously we're going to be looking a lot toward the transfer portal after the season gets over. But these are four guys right here that you can expect um, that are going to be moving on. Now, for Lingard, this will be his third time transferring, which you would say, well, that will mean he'll have to sit out again. Not so fast. Um, he'll mm. be able to go to the third school as a graduate transfer, meaning he won't have to sit out and he can play his last year somewhere else. So um, it's a you know interesting, as Billy said, the COVID kind of situation has thrown things off, but uh, we're getting some clarity here on at least some guys that appear to be moving on. And, and listen, I think they did the right thing, um, giving these players another year of eligibility, but my goodness, that, headaches it has caused trying to figure out who's in what class and i mean brenton cox before he was i'm writing the story about him being dismissed and he's listed as a senior 
And then you open his page and it says senior and it says redshirt junior. I'm like, have they decided what <laughs> class Brenton Cox is? Because it seems like they're like, yeah, he's one of these two. You guys can figure it out. Um, and we've still got, uh, you know, probably two more years for that stuff to completely phase out. But yeah, woo, trying to figure out eligibility. And, and then you've probably got coaches saying like, yeah, you got a COVID year, but we're not going to acknowledge your COVID year here. So um, college football can be a dirty business. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be guys, you know, the transfer portal will be overflowing with guys who have COVID years, guys who, you know, uh, have coaching changes, quarterbacks. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, movement. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the COVID year to to move on and graduate. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes things a little tricky when you get to senior day. Um, so, but nonetheless, it'll be happening on Saturday in the swamp. Make sure you get there early and uh, honor all these guys. That's that's a big thing too. Like there's a I know there's a lot going on. It's weird to have senior day be the third to last game. Um it, it was just a really heavy front and loaded schedule. I mean, Zach, we're gonna be in the swamp for the last time this fall, um, in just a few days' time. Like on the a, season on has November twelfth. Yeah. Um so that's that's strange. Um, but give these guys get there in your seats don't make them run out for senior day and hug mom dad brother sister uncle aunt whoever's there for them in front of you know 50 60 000 empty chairs get there early um i remember being in the stands for um tim tebow and brandon spikes and and those guys senior day that place was ninety thousand strong before senior day the tailgates were stopped early and, and people made sure they, their butts were in the stands. So um, to me, I think it, it's a it's a way to show your appreciation for four or five, six years in some cases of hard work for your university and for your probably favorite team on campus. Um, the least you can do if you're going to the game is to make sure you're there um, and, and, and sending them out the right way. Absolutely. And, and obviously uh, it's going to be a sold out crowd for the final home game against the Gamecocks and um, you know these two teams matching up you know looking at, at this is obviously in favor of Florida um, although Carolina has been playing well lately you know they lost their last game but they had a little bit of a winning streak going there uh, have a quarterback that Florida fans and players are familiar with and Oklahoma transfer Spencer Rattler um, Nick you, you wrote a kind of great story about kind of where things stand with uh not only his season and kind of how things have shaked out for him at South Carolina, but how the players feel about getting another shot at him. Um, but this is a, this is a unique opportunity that most teams don't get when they face somebody in a bowl matchup. Spencer Rattler was like a scrawny six foot one listed to a five, probably under 200 pounds uh, kid from Arizona. <laughs> Shows up to that Cotton Bowl, which Dan Mullen said wasn't even the real Florida Gators. Uh, sure looked like the same helmets. Um, and just torched Florida. I think it was like 31-13 at halftime. Flew all the way out to Arlington to to, to watch an execution, essentially. To watch um, to watch what wasn't the 2020 Florida Gators, Nick. Yeah, yeah. And um it, and when it's funny because when you you play a guy from Oklahoma and he and he does that, you're like, well, that was our shot. He got the best of us. Got to move on. 
Um, then the next season, I mean, he played so well, he was instantly a Heisman front runner for the next season. Then he starts off slow. Lincoln Riley goes to Caleb Williams. Then Caleb Caleb Williams becomes that dude. Lincoln Riley goes to Southern California, USC. Caleb follows him. Uh, and then on the other coast, Spencer Rattler goes, SC sounds good. I'm going, I'm going to the right. You guys go left. It's all good. So uh the band all went to an SC, just different SCs. So Florida now gets another crack. You know, Ventro Miller, Amari Bernie, Jaden Hill, um, Trey Dean. These guys were on that team. Um, that was, frankly was embarrassed by Spencer Rattler. And now you get a shot um at redemption, one that seemed not even implausible, seemed impossible or an improbability. Unless Florida and Oklahoma were going to match up in another bowl game, it wasn't going to happen. So Amari Bernie kind of looked at me, and when I asked the question, he was like, that seems like a trap. I'm like, it is a trap. Fall into it. <laughs> and, but but he gave us the, you know, the, uh, we owe him one. And I think they do. And I don't think that's, you know, bulletin board material, really. Like Spencer Rattler's like, yeah, I got the best of those guys. Of course they want to beat me this week. And, you know, they, you know, look at how this, uh, how he's played and, and what Florida's defense has done well. One of the things they have is get takeaways. Uh, they've gotten a takeaway in every single game this season. Uh, they ranked second in the SEC in takeaways. They're tied for first in the league in turnover margin. So, obviously, big turnovers at Texas A&M with the back-to-back strip sacks. Um, and coming into this matchup, you're looking at a quarterback in Spencer Rattler who's uh, thrown eight touchdowns on the season against nine interceptions. So, he's definitely been turnover-prone. Uh, they got to think that going into this matchup, they're going to have an opportunity to maybe get some picks against him. Uh, they're going to have their hands full, I think, with Marshawn Lloyd, uh, Carolina's leading rusher. Uh, he's been productive this season, uh, 556 yards on the year, nine touchdowns. And then, you know, Nick mentioned it, uh, you know, th- this is a defense that has not done well defending the run. I'm talking about the Gamecocks. And, uh, you know, they've been better against the pass. So you would expect Florida once again going into this matchup with that advantage that they have with their rushing offense to lean on Montrell and Trevor and uh, and, and AR and, and and try to come out of the swamp uh, with the win. You know they've gotten above 500 now. They're at five and four, and one more dub gets them bowl eligible. And Nick, you mentioned it. I mean, Billy's been asked about it now a few times to the point that he's almost kind of bothered by the question. Um, and and doesn't want to like act like he's um you know happy with bowl eligibility, but nonetheless, it's a big deal for this team. He understands that. Um, it's just not something he probably wants to champion at the podium, but they need to get this win. And obviously, you don't want to lose your last game at home. And I think it's important to get it right now. He wants it will be spun into the depths of hell. If if Billy Napier says, yeah, man, we're really excited about getting a bowl game. Are you crazy? That's where we've fallen. That's the expectation of Florida to go to the Valero. No one cares bowl out in Phoenix on New Year's Day. It's like uh, he understands that. But he also understands the importance of those 15 practices and getting another game. Um, and he's a big just guy in terms of the players work hard they should get reap the benefits of the uh, of that work and and you get some 
swag when you go to bowl games you get a trip out to somewhere whether it's tampa or arlington or charlotte for the duke's mayo bowl um i volunteer to dump a cooler full of mayonnaise on <laughs> on billy napier if if that's the bowl game they go to and if florida wins the game i i, I got a kick out of seeing shane beamer get dumped with uh mayo last year when South Carolina won that game. Um, so he, he, and he, he's, he's showing a little media savvy. I will get angry at the questions about how big is it to get a bowl game in year one? Because that's not what, what our expectations are. Listen, when you start the season at Florida, your expectations are to win the SC East, win the SEC, compete for a national championship. Yeah. By the time November rolled around, None of those three were happening. So you adjust your now, you now you adjust your expectations for this year, not as a program, but for this year, you have to adjust your expectations. And we heard players say, Billy hasn't said it yet, I don't think to us, but we've heard players say what Billy said to them. And after they lost to Georgia, Billy told them, we need to win our next five. Well, there's only four games on the schedule. So he's already talking about a bowl game um, and winning out wasn't winning four games. It was winning five. You hear that, Dan? The bowl game is part of the season. <laughs> um, and it was so. And it was so interesting I, after the the win at A and M. If if people watch that journey episode, the latest after the game, he told his team, "We're one and zero." So it was almost like they turned a page on the 2022 season, and this is obviously a new slate in the month of November, and they're trying to run the table, Del Torre. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, will they? Um, this was actually a game that before the season, I picked Florida to lose because um, I thought. Well, you're going to have to stay on that. You're going to have to stay on that prediction. We're going to lock I you thought, in there. I, 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 Locking you in. I thought that they were going to uh, play an A&M team that was going to be a lot better than what we saw Saturday and uh, not be able to get the dub. And that might spiral into um, a loss into this matchup against mm-hmm. South Carolina, but that didn't happen. Um, I, I do think South Carolina is, is, is playing better as of late. Um, and I know that Nick and I need to be, uh, need to start differing on some of these picks down the stretch. Cause he's trying to catch me now. Um, well, it killed me last week. It, it absolutely devastated me. And now <laughs> I would need you to pick wrong three times in a row and me to pick right three times in a row. So I shot my shot last week. And I missed. I was, I was, um, shoot, who was that? Nick. It was a good gamble, though. It was Nick something. He took the three and he turns around, he's celebrating, and, and the ball rims off. Nick Young, maybe something like that from the Lakers yeah. at Jif. I took my shot. I celebrated my shot, hit the back rim, and, and we were out. But look, I, I think Florida State, maybe Nick and I will be on uh, different sides of the pick, maybe once the Gators get to a bowl game we could pick differently I'd be interested to see if he uh goes against the grain this week because uh unfortunately for him despite what i had going into the year no uh, no 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 we're locking you into your preseason pick <laughs> zach is all over the game cox this week uh i'm all i'm all over them getting the l uh <sighs> I, I you know i and here's the thing Florida, not only are they chasing an uh, undefeated streak, you know, to end the season, a winning streak, 
but they're chasing a complete game. And, you know, I think, you know, previously it was, it was kind of hard to even expect or ask that of this team because they hadn't even shown that they could put together a complete half. Well, now they have. And, mm-hmm. you know, now I think the goal moving into the, this, you know, the, the remaining slate is to put that together. I don't know if it's going to be this Saturday against South Carolina. Um, and, and, and maybe we won't see it this season from this team. Maybe maybe their best shot is probably next week against Vanderbilt. No, no disrespect to the doors, but it is what it is. But I do think that Florida is going to continue to progress in that positive direction, and that's going to continue this Saturday against the Gamecocks. I think that going on the road and getting a win like that was just a huge confidence boost and lift that that team needed. Um, just as validation for everything that they've been doing as a program, everything that they've been doing as a team, all these games that they've been rallying in. Um, so I just think getting over that hump is going to be huge for them. And that's going to kind of carry momentum into this week. You know, it's going to be their final game. Uh, it's it's uh, going to be a huge recruiting weekend. So I just think they're going to put on a show and I think they're going to cover as well and get the W. What's the spread at now? I think it's like eight. Something like that. Yeah, it opened. It opened at eight. I think it went down to like seven and a half. I, I think it's about seven and a half. Which again, Vegas gives you about three points. Generally, that's the consensus. A home team gets three points. So uh, Vegas is not even really saying that Florida is seven points better. And if you look at like a lot of the stats on paper, like these teams are the same. Um, Spencer Rattler, like his. Touchdown pass to interception ratio looks just like Anthony Richardson's. He is not the runner that Anthony Richardson is. Um, South Carolina struggles to stop the run. If you look at the SEC uh, rush defense stats, Florida's right under (laughs) South Carolina in terms of stopping the run. Um, I just think Florida has a better running game to attack that weakness than, than South Carolina does. I think, for me, all things considered, you've got um South Carolina coming in they're six and three um uh, I, I don't think that they have the ability to score with Florida I think Florida should be able to score in the 30s the way for me really South Carolina can win this game is if they muddy it up if if they're able to sustain long drawn out drives to keep Florida's offense on the sideline if they're able to force some turnovers, which Florida was coughing them up like candy um, early on in the year, but but uh, have kind of figured that thing out these last three weeks. Just knocking on wood there for you. Um, I just don't think South Carolina is able to muddy it up that way. And then I don't think their offense is going to be explosive enough to score, you know, 35, 38, 40 points to, to kind of keep up with Florida's offense. So I've got the Gators in this one. Um, and unless the turnover bug, uh, you know, infest Ben Hill Griffin Stadium this week. Well, it could, but maybe maybe for the Gamecocks. Um, we'll see if that defense can keep their streak going. Uh, we're going to jo- be joined by uh, Wes Mitchell uh, to get some perspective on the Gamecocks and, and kind of what this South Carolina team is bringing to the table um, covers uh, USC for Gamecock Central, part of the On3 Sports Network. Uh, before we jump to this break, though, and uh, talk to Wes, I do want to mention and give a shout-out to the men's hoops team. 
uh, and women's hoops team that they also open their season, both uh, with back-to-back doubleheaders, uh, getting the victories, and uh, the men's team kicks off the Todd Golden era. Nick had the uh, dr- the the photo ready to go in drafts um, of a throwback Todd Golden at St. Mary's, and um, they go out there and, and put on an pr- impressive performance with a lot of guys that were featured uh, and productive that were – Additions by Todd Golden and his staff. Alex Fudge off the bench led the Gators with 16 points. Uh, you had Belmont transfer Will Richard right behind him with 14 points. Colin Castleton, kind of an all-around game, um, 13 points, five rebounds, uh, four blocks. Uh, he was all over the place, had a nice alley-oop that he got from Myron Jones. So uh the Gators really kind of just jumped out at the start of both halves and put it on Stony Brook. 22-3 run to start the first half, 22-5 run to start the second half. And, uh, you know, it was a 30-plus point lead from that point on. So, uh, but just the way the ball movement was, uh, the energy that they played with, the new faces that were out there, it's a good-looking team. Uh, obviously, they're going to, you know, have some uh, more stiff competition as, as the season progresses. But, hey, it might not be FSU because they lost their season opener. Woo, FSU hoops were the whoops to start the season. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, that was uh, not a good start for the Knowles. The Gators will travel to Tallahassee um, next week, uh, game uh, Friday uh, at, uh, at Tallahassee. So that'll be their fourth game of the season. Uh, first up, though, they got another matchup against Kennesaw State uh, in the O-Dome Friday at 7 p.m. So uh, – Encourage everybody to go out there and catch that matchup if you weren't able to make it on a Monday night. But uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to see this team, Nick. And I, I think that you know fans will be pleased with what they see on the floor. Um, you know, once they get out there, uh, you know, to catch their first game. So a couple more matchups uh, in in the O Dome. They also play Florida Atlantic uh, next week before they travel to Florida State. So uh, it's. That time of year, Nick, where basketball season is back, you got football and hoops going on at the same time, uh, which creates a busy month for us in November. Yeah, yeah. It it almost rivals – November gets busy. It it rivals the springtime when uh, you're at the SEC tournament for basketball, spring football, and baseball going on – baseball and softball going on at the same time. Uh, Rivals that for us. Yeah, and – it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see what this team does. I, I think that they definitely got a, a chance to start out um, with a little bit of an undefeated streak. Uh, they got to get over that FSU hump that's kind of plagued this program, and uh, I think obviously they're gonna have a good chance based on the way FSU started the season. So we're gonna jump to this break. When we come back from the other side, we'll be joined by Wes Mitchell from Gamecock Central to get you guys some perspective on South Carolina and what to watch from that team on Saturday. Football is back. There isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite team than by playing daily fantasy sports with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and pits you against the numbers. Whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual fan looking to add some excitement to the games, Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. It's the best way to have action on the game in states like Alabama, Florida, Texas, Georgia, Kentucky, and over 70% of the United States. PrizePix is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. 
You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. Download the prize picks app or visit prizepicks.com and sign in using the code GATERS to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. So if you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100 back. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. That's free money. Don't forget that prize picks app or prizepicks.com and the code GATERS to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your team to the next level this season. Welcome back into the Gators Online Podcast. We're now joined by our guest of the week, Wes Mitchell from Gamecock Central to talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks. Wes, appreciate the time, man. How's it going? Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Uh, Going good over here. Just uh, getting ready for what I think is going to be, you know, fairly interesting matchup between uh, South Carolina and Florida on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, uh, this program is uh, one that I think Florida fans – know pretty well because of, uh, you know, Steve's time over there, but obviously one that, uh, you know, they're, they're more familiar with because of the recent history and obviously the Gamecocks, you know, putting it on Florida last year. Um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end for the Dan Mullen era. And, um, you know, Shane Beamer kind of had it rolling, uh, you know, recently. I know that they, um, you know, what is it, won like, I think for their last five games, um, you know, what's kind of been your impressions of this team this year and kind of what you've seen from the Gamecocks? Yeah, you know, I think they had a little stretch there where they kind of got it going and, uh, you know, it felt like they were finding their stride as a team. Um, Missouri came in and sort of uh, threw the brakes on them there uh, briefly and and really kind of, I think, brought the fan base back down to earth uh, momentarily. Uh, but they did get back on the winning track last week against Vandy, uh, an 11-point win, but really, if you watched it, South Carolina uh, was up by double digits for for most of the game. Uh, had a few opportunities to kind of just put it away and couldn't quite put that dagger in. And Vandy hung around, but Carolina kind of contro- controlled that game. So, you know, it's been interesting. I, I feel like they are an improved team from last year. Um, it hasn't been quite as just like a roller coaster. Like last year, it was like there was a stretch where they'd win one, lose one, win one, lose one. There was never too, you know, too many high moments in a row, never too many super low moments in a row. So, no momentum. Yeah, no no momentum at all last year. And they, they've kind of found that a little bit. They, they had some momentum going into the offseason, I think. And, um, you know, now that they face this Florida team that I, I think on paper is better than them. But I, I do think this is a South Carolina team that comes in with some confidence. And, um, you know, that, that's been something big for Beamer. He's just kind of been the pushing positive um, thoughts, positive vibes. Like that's kind of how he rolls and you can kind of see that and how his team operates as well. How's he vibes from Beamer? Um, to me, uh, when you look at Missouri, Florida had struggled with Missouri, Georgia show with Missouri. There's just something about Missouri. I think their defensive front seven is really good. And, and it seems like South Carolina really tries to run the ball. That's where their strength is on offense. Um, and Missouri's going to make it tough for you to do that. The interesting one for me was to follow that up with a Vanderbilt game where you struggled to stop the run. Um, Vanderbilt is atrocious. Um, haven't won a conference game since, I think, 2019 against Missouri. Um, what what was the issue there with stopping Vanderbilt's uh, ability to run and is I, I asked you and, and we ran our story today um, about Satterfield, but is is the hate for Satterfield kind of almost 
taking attention away from South Carolina's defense and, and their struggles and, and, and where they've been this year? Yeah, I think, you know, that's something uh, Chris Clark, my coworker, and I have talked about quite a bit. Like, over the last two years, there's been such an emphasis from the fan base on the offensive struggles that when the defense has struggled, um, it hasn't been talked about nearly as much. Uh, now, part of that is that, you know, the defense for the most part has given South Carolina a chance to win games. And I, I think a lot of people came in with not very high expectations for the defense last year, and they kind of overall overperformed what was expected out of them. Clayton White has done an outstanding job of sort of getting the most out of his talent. So, um, you know, I, I do think that it has uh, gone a little bit under the radar just how much they have struggled to stop the run specifically. Like, they've been pretty good against the pass. And um, this is a team, they don't have great sack numbers, but they have great pressure numbers. Like, if they can get you in passing situations, uh, they can get after you. And I, I think that's kind of worked against them a little bit, though, in that their front, like their edge guys are both kind of built more as pass rushers. Um, one of their best edge guys, Jordan Strong, he's out for the year since week three. Mo Kaba had really emerged as their top linebacker. He got hurt that same game at Arkansas, out for the year. And really, um, you know, th those are some of the spots. I mean, y'all have covered ball for a long time. You know how every year there's a few spots on the team you're like, man, they cannot afford to have injuries at that position. And then lo and behold, it's like, that's the spot that gets hit. So, um, you know, it's been a little bit of everything. I think they have, they really don't have a lot of depth on defense. So you have a bunch of guys just playing the entire game. And then, um, you know, it's been a struggle for them. Like they haven't given up big plays necessarily. It's just been that kind of, um, you know, five yards here, three yards here, seven yards here, and they've struggled to get off the field. So I think the big thing for them is just been, Teams have been in second and five and third and two, and it's just they're not in situations that are um, statistically, you know, percentage-wise going to be easy to, to get stops. So some of that is um, they do kind of run like a 4-2-5. That's what they they really – they major in that. Like they rarely get out of that. They don't really have a 4-3 um, personnel group they go too much. They're like, we're going to get athletes on the field, and we're just going to hang in there. So it, it has been a struggle for them. It seemed like uh, I'm giving y'all a really long-winded answer, but I mean, it's just it's been a little bit of everything, y'all. Like they they looked like they had maybe turned a corner a little bit against Kentucky and A and M, but then to your point, I think I think not being able to stop Vanderbilt on the ground was probably the most concerning thing for that defense that we've probably seen all season long. And then offensively, obviously, you got Spencer Rattler at quarterback. That's one of the biggest storylines, I think, going into this game, just because of yeah. the history there with Spencer and the Gators. Um, what have been your impressions uh, of him this season after transferring over from Oklahoma? And how has he, you know, transformed or kind of changed his offense? Yeah, you know, um, obviously expectations were through the roof when, uh, when Spencer got to South Carolina. And, you know, I, I don't think he, uh, you know, has quite lived up to that. I think that's fair to say. And there's some plays, some throws that I'm sure Spencer wants back. I think we all kind of um, underestimated how big of a adjustment it was going to be going from sort of that Oklahoma. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, an air raid passing attack. But if you look at what they do, they really run the football a ton as well. And it's very quarterback friendly. And, um, you know, there's just not quite as much on the quarterback. He comes to South Carolina. This is a very just NFL-based offense where you're huddling up. 
you're under center at times, you're going play action where you're turning your back to the line of scrimmage, lots of different footwork, lots of different verbiage as far as what you have to just call in the plays. You know, it's four or five words instead of the one word calls like you have at Oklahoma. So it's been a process, y'all. Like I, I think you can sort of see him thinking through it, getting more comfortable. Um, and they've done some things as the year has progressed to kind of implement some of what he was doing at Oklahoma. So I, I think he's progressed. I think he's taken some, uh, you know, some unwarranted heat at times this year on things that probably weren't on him. You look at the interception numbers, they're not good. But there, there's one game where he literally, if you look at like the PFF numbers, he didn't have a single turnover-worthy play, but he had two interceptions because he had two balls go straight off a receiver's hands, bounce up, and and get intercepted. So he, it's kind of interesting. Like he came in with a lot of people expecting him to just put this offense on his shoulders and go. Um, that has not happened. That's what same, I thought was going to happen. Yeah, that, that was kind of the expectation, Zach, because they you know they went through last year. They had four different quarterbacks, and it was kind of like, all right. You've fixed that position now. Um, that has not really been the case. However, there are plays every single game that you see and you're like, that, that is an NFL-level play. So he, he has made some of those plays. He's extended drives. And really, I think the thing he's tried to work on the most is knowing when to just step up in the pocket, hang out in there, let the play develop. He's so good outside the pocket. But sometimes he escapes so early that it invites pressure to him. And I, I think that's something they've worked on um, with him a ton this year is just, you know, step on up into like the area in the middle of the pocket, let the plays develop and, and then get rid of the ball. So that, that's something he's focused on. And um, the, the big thing has just been, can, uh, can they protect him? When they've protected him, um, he's actually been pretty good. Yeah, it seems like looking at his numbers that, when he has a clean pocket and no pressure, he's able to kind of pick you apart. And Florida plays a lot of zone. Uh, Florida fans, uh, if they haven't scrubbed it from their memory, remember uh, the Cotton Bowl, <laughs> excuse me, when he did whatever he wanted to that game. Um, going back to one thing you said earlier um, with South Carolina being able to get pressure, it, it's interesting because the design runs for Anthony Richardson haven't been called as much, or at least his big runs, his big long touchdowns. And a lot of his most productive plays haven't come on, you know, designed uh, speed option or a design quarterback draw. It's kind of been when, okay, guys are covered. The pockets collapsing. Let me, you know, pick up basketball. What can I do and, and get out of here? Is that a concern? Is, is it almost like, okay, let's, maybe even dial back our pressure a little bit to just try to keep him contained because if we force the play to break down, he's liable to run for 85 yards. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge concern for South Carolina because a lot of their issues have been out there, like on the edge, on the perimeter and uh, Missouri just attacked them relentlessly out there on the edge, that little stretch play that Missouri loves to run. And then just little quick screens out there. Um, watching a little bit of Florida, I know they they do some of that as well. So it's like um, just angles have really sort of hurt Carolina's defense. And I, I look at Richardson, and I'm like, man, this is this guy can obviously obviously has speed and size. And um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a perfect comparison, but just the closest thing I have watching South Carolina try to tackle KJ Jefferson, like another quarterback with some size and his ability to fall forward against Carolina's defense. Um, 
Arkansas really just kind of um, just stayed ahead of schedule on them. I, I think Florida is a little bit more like explosive than Arkansas. It seems like like they're they're not necessarily always ahead of schedule, but they're going to get their big plays. So I I uh, I think you look at Carolina's defense; they do play a lot of man coverage. So if you you know, I, I know with running quarterbacks, sometimes everybody just sort of gets run off, and then that opens up everything on one side of the field for a quarterback with his speed to create big plays. So I think that's a huge concern for South Carolina. I look at this game um, more like I don't think you can expect to stop Florida. Like, I don't think you can expect to just, like, hold them to 14, 17 points. Like, I, I, I fully think Florida can score, you know, in the 30s. I think for Carolina, you're kind of hoping you can just make it difficult on them, make them earn everything, and maybe hold them to that kind of, you know, 28 to 31 which is an area where I think Carolina's offense, if they play well, could maybe get into that area. Like we, we talk here sometimes about kind of playing to a score um, and how a game flow might play out. And um, I just – I can't see South Carolina's defense holding that rushing attack to under, you know, 21 points. Like it, that, that to me would be a major upset if, if that happens. Yeah. And then on that note, Wes, just what, what are some other ways that you see – Carolina coming out with a win what does Florida have to be wary of on both sides of the ball yeah you know I, I think um this is a game where they would love to have Marshawn Lloyd fully healthy like I, I think um you know Florida from what I've read as, as a team that's maybe missed some tackles at times on defense and Marshawn is um one of the best just uh, by the numbers tackle breakers in the conference and but Marshawn is banged up right now he's going to be more of like a day-to-day decision still I think um so Jaheim Bell who is like kind of their do-it-all tight end obviously has played former more running Florida back. Commit. yeah former Florida y'all y'all know Jaheim um so they you know they've moved him around I think he's going to play some more running back this week as well um I, I think just for Carolina against teams that aren't Vanderbilt or aren't just the you know, the, the out-of-conference teams they've played, the teams they can just do what they want against. Against real SEC opponents, it's been about can they run the ball enough to slow down the pass rush of the opponent? Because then that's like we were talking about earlier. That's when Spencer can kind of go to work and, and get some things done, I think. So offensively, um, they've been a little boomer bust, lots of negative plays, but explosive plays kind of balance it out. Um you know, and, and the other thing that Carolina has just stolen so many points with this year has been special teams. Like that's been that's been their mo. Like they they have stolen um, a possession or points or a couple times multiple touchdowns uh, by being better than their opponent on special teams. And that's something you can't always count on, but you kind of if you're framing this thing up, you kind of have to be aware of it. If they find another way to steal a possession to still a touchdown um, on special teams. I think that can maybe be an equalizer. I think the line is about right, y'all. Like, what is it, eight now, yeah, nine, eight, eight and a half? Um, I think that's about right. On paper, you know, I think Florida is the better team. Carolina would need to steal a possession here or there. And then, obviously, you know, y'all know, turnovers, red zone, all that stuff. Um, you got to win those battles. And that's, that's been a battle for South Carolina. They have not been very good at winning the turnover battle. Now, Wes, yeah, uh, I think South Carolina is what negative six in, in the turnover battle, and like second to worst yeah. or third to worst in the in the that, SEC. That that sounds right. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know um, 
quite literally when they when they win the turnover battle or even kind of break even, they've won those games. And then every game they've lost, um, they they have lost those the turnover battle. So that has been a key uh, determining factor for them this year. Yeah, you were right, Nick. Tied for uh, second to last in the SEC in turnover margin, 100 nationally. Not just a hat rack, my buddy. My guy, not just a hat rack. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we let you go, Wes, I you know, would not be doing our listeners justice if uh, we did not get one of your favorite Steve Spurrier stories mm. from his time at South Carolina. Um, definitely got to take advantage of uh, some good memories that you might have. Oh man, on the spot, on the spot. Um, there's so many, there's so many. Um, actually, so Chris Clark and I were talking. I think we're gonna write a uh, a story, like a a deep dive story, on the day Steve Spurrier quit. And um, so the interesting thing about, I mean, only this is only Steve Spurrier. The interesting thing about Steve Spurrier is when he quit, like, you know, legendary SEC coach Steve Spurrier, he didn't gather the full team around and say, you know, all right, guys, I'm out. So they're at practice. And the way it's been told to me is there is some, like, senior, older guys that were kind of standing around on the side. Um, Younger guys are on the field practicing. And uh, he just goes, yep, guys. Think I'm done. Like, uh, I think this is it. And uh they're looking around, they're like, What? And uh he's like, Yeah, you know, I, I think this is it. I'm I'm done. So practice ends. Half the team walks off knowing Spurrier has quit. And there's people on the on the coaching staff that still have no idea that has happened. And of course. You know, guys are calling each other, texting each other. What, like, what is going on? What is happening? It starts hitting the media at some point. And uh, then, of course, you know, all, you know, what breaks loose, uh, hits the national media, Spurrier is done. But um, that, that was one of those things, like, only Steve Spurrier would just pretty much on a whim, it seems like, tell half the team, I'm done. Um, the other good one around here was when he just uh, – freaked out on one of the media guys who he said was writing negative things and was just like middle of the press conference walks in and is like, you're out of here. I'm not answering a single question until this guy is gone. And uh, it was a cop local columnist that used to, I guess, pick at him a little bit. And um, he kind of freaked out on him. So that was, I'm sure you put me on the spot, man. I'm sure there's so many like really good. So you were in a room for that though. Oh, when he when he flipped out, yes, yes, we were all we were all looking around like, uh, what what do we do? I was young too. I was like, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I was rolling. I had my camera rolling. Now, do you remember what also happened? Do you remember what also happened that same day later in the day? I don't. I think this was this was Spurrier. This is one of Spurrier's best. Uh, Garcia. Yes, yes, yes. You are right. What happened? I've forgotten about that. That was when Garcia got dismissed for good. Yeah, I, well, I was going to say, which time? I, I think that was when he got dismissed good. for good. 
Um, you think it was so a diversion? Well, yeah, what better way to divert the media than to pull a stunt like that? They, I um, that was classic. Last- Last year, uh, Florida has a, had a new uh, sports information director um, who was on the road, and we're sitting, we're talking in the South Carolina press box, and, and there's a picture of Steve being carried off Florida Field. And um, Steve is sitting next to the table that I'm talking to the SID about, and he's like, dude, that's Steve Spurrier next to us. I'm like, yeah, man, you, he works in the same building that you do. He's there a lot. Um He's like, I didn't know he coached here. I'm like, he coached here almost as long as he coached at Florida. Um, and uh, I told him, I go, and he has the memory of an elephant. And I think at this point, Steve had like heard us talking about him. And I go, I bet you, if you ask him about that picture behind you, and it's him being carried off the field, he'll tell you how many yards and how many carries Marcus Lattimore had. And Steve hears that and he goes, yeah, I think old Marcus carried the ball about 40 times for 212 yards and three touchdowns that game. And I'm, of course, I'm not looking it up. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I, I have no idea. But if he said it, it's probably right. And the SID is like clicking on his keyboard. And he looks at me, he goes, that's exactly his stat line. I go, yeah, man. Like Steve Spurrier doesn't forget stats and little things from wins. Never. Yeah, apparently he can still go back. At, at one time, this is definitely true. He could go back to games when he played yeah, and tell you plays that were run, tell you personnel like this, this guy was here, this guy was here, this guy was here. Like it is. And that, that looking back, that's got to be part of the reason why he was such a good play caller, because Mm -hmm. I think he, he retained so much about, especially when he was dialed in, like you could tell, you could tell when it was a, he's dialed in. He was in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. And there were moments at South Carolina where, you could just, you're like, all right, he's on today. Uh, he's in the zone today. Yes, he is in the zone. He's in the zone. I, again, I, I told Nick earlier, man, uh, on our podcast, I'm, I'm kind of jealous that uh, y'all have the Spurrier restaurant there. Steve's just hanging around. Um, like, I, I really just miss this. I miss hearing people tell stories about Spurrier here. And I miss the, you know, just the quips, just the every, every day there was, going to be something said that was going to make you laugh i feel like yeah there's nobody yeah. quite like him he is uh one of a kind and a legend definitely yeah he's a living legend yeah well another living legend west mitchell we appreciate your time man we, we glad we got you in the zone today and um definitely looking forward to this matchup we appreciate all the perspective on south carolina let folks know where they can follow you and read your work yeah, come check us out, GamecockCentral.com. If you're a Florida fan who wants to read a little bit about your opponent, uh, we got all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, so come on over. Uh, we'd love to have you and uh, be an interesting game. So we'll see what happens, I guess. And if you're an On3 subscriber, of course, you can read all of their fantastic content as well. So um, we will uh, see how things play out this weekend. Wes, we really appreciate the time. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Alberti. We'll see you guys next week. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads 
money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.